to the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to actually be uncovering quite a bit of scripture throughout the, uh, the sermon, but we're just going to do two verses due to the reading time. John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, and you might want to keep your Bibles open in that chapter. John chapter 20, verse 1 and verse 2, it just says simply this. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. This morning, as you all know, it's Memorial Day, and before I go any further, let me just remind you that we're not having service here tonight due to the holiday weekend for you to be with your family. But also, I wanna give thanks and I wanna give honor to all of our veterans, whether they be in Army, whether they be in Air Force, whether they be in Navy, whether they be the Marine, in the Coast Guards, or whatever service or branch of, of, of the military that you have served, we wanna give you honor. If you are a part of them, would you stand one more time, please? And would you allow us to honor you as giving your time and your life for our country? Amen. We honor you. Praise your... Praise the Lord for you, amen. And this beautiful, amen. But it is Memorial Day weekend, and over the years I've preached a lot of sermons just on Memorial Day. We have preached its origin, we have preached about how it began, we've talked about its history, we've talked about also build, building memorials for our own lives. But this morning I wanna take a little bit uh, different approach than what I normally do. We have preached so many of them that I thought that I would change it up a little bit this weekend and go a different direction. When I was a young Christian at a local church, my local church there in Dudley, Barbara and Dean Jurrell, who happens to be John Jurrell's parents, our worship director, Dean came to me and he gave me the story of the footprints in the sand or the poem, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and Dean gave it to me, and he said, I want to give you this so that in your future, you're, when you are tested and when you're tried, he said, you just gave your life to the Lord, and you will be tested, and you will be tried. He said, I want you to always remember that God has got your back. And he gave me this poem. And most every one of you know well, that old famous poem. If you don't, I'll read it to you real fast. It says, one night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord, crossed the sky, flashed scenes of his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, <clears throat> one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the days of my life, but I have noticed there, there in the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you've seen only one, foot of, uh, one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That was the, uh, the little poem. And how many has heard that? Most all of us has heard that. Of course we have. However, I want to talk to you this morning about leaving behind your footprints and how they, become, how they can become a memorial that is left behind for others to see. I want footprints will lead you somewhere whether you like it or not. And I thank God that there's no way for you to see as a congregation where all my footprints have led me in my lifetime. And if I was to bet there are places that you have been, things that you have done, 
done that you don't want me to know about as well. There's been places that I've laid my feet that I wished I would have never laid my feet. Footprints do not make decisions, but decisions leave behind footprints. Whatever we decide in life will be reflected in where we go. Deciding to follow Jesus will reveal that I visit places that reveal just that. You see, and deciding to follow Jesus, let me say that again, will reveal, deciding to follow Jesus will reveal that I visit places that reveal just that. And if I can see your footprints, I can tell you who you are and what you're actually devoted to. Footprints only go where they are sent. They always leave, lead to the place of a arrival somewhere. Following a footprint can lead to a revelation of a person or even not so good of an observation. Our footprints can reveal our character and tell us who exactly we really are. Our footprints, footprints represent what is in our heart. Our heart and our footprints will always be found in the very same place because it is our footprints that lead out the, uh, the, uh, the desire of the heart. And if you find your footprints in church all the time, then that ought to tell you what your desire is. It ought to tell you what your heart is. What we have to do is make sure that when people follow our footprints, they will find Jesus at the end of them. How many want to you, people to follow your footprints that will lead to Jesus Christ? Can I have an amen? If you hear me blundering a little bit, you'll have to forgive me. I broke two teeth off and they're driving me crazy here this morning. Footprints lead a legacy, whether good or bad. Footprints determine destination, whether good or bad. I am very much impressed with the woman of our text who was known and called by the name of Mary Magdalene. I'm not impressed with what she was known for, but I am impressed in what she become. She was known as a prostitute and a woman that what Jesus had cast seven demons out of. The word seven speaks of perfection, and I can easily say that Mary was perfectly demon-possessed. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? First of all, she was living a dark, sensual life. She was controlled and ruled by the demonic presence of her life. I've heard sinners say this before, and some of you have said it to me. When I was a sinner, I was a good sinner. Isn't that what sinners do? They sin very well. Nothing in Mary belonged to the Lord, but she was possessed in totality. However, if there's one thing that we can learn from Mary, and that is this, you do not always have to follow the path that you've always taken or the path that you are presently on. I want you to know it doesn't matter how bleak your life is, how dark it is, and where your path leads, there is always a change of direction for everybody that wants it. Can I have an amen? Following her footprints after her deliverance from those demons is very, very impressive. She was delivered so deeply and intensively that no wonder we find her footprints so obviously at the cross and at the tomb of Jesus Christ. The first major impression of Mary was this. She was the one who left the crucifixion last and she was also the first one at his tomb. I want you to think about that. She was the last to leave the cross, but she was the first that arose at the tomb. This only speaks volume of her life. It speaks of her faith. It speaks of her devotion. It speaks of her commitment. The crucifixion was a very gruesome and a very ugly experience, and yet she saw it all with her visual eyes. And the one who delivered her from demonic possession and a life of ill repute was grossly treated on the cross, and she watched him bleed, and she watched him die. No wonder she left last, and how could anyone not expect her to leave last? Because, listen, to this. Our deliverance should make us the most loyal people ever, even to the vast, very last moment. 
when God has done so much for us, then we ought to be the one that does the best for him. Can I have an amen? She could not leave the cross before others because she had an experience with Jesus like no other. Her, her encounter of him changed her life forever and she could not but be faithful and loyal to him who had actually set her free. Let me ask you, has Jesus ever done anything for you here this morning? Amen? That's how she felt. She said, how can I leave him? She loved him. She was devoted to him. And she sat there and all, trying to figure it all out, but she remembered remained there at the cross until the last. Uh, on African safaris, they say that it's amazing how a tour guide can determine the footprints of an animal. They say that he can tell if the footprints are just a few hours old or whether they even be a few days old. And most of the time, the freshness of the footprints can lead you to the prey because footprints do not lie. They tell you, you they tell your location. Our footprints also reveals our location and they reveal not only our hiding places, but they also reveal our character. Footprints tell our life stories. They reveal our past history and most important, they also reveal our recent visits. And they tell us not only where we've been, and where we are, but they even tell us the direction that you and I are actually going. That's what our footprints would tell us. Mary's footprints will reveal she was the last one to leave the cross and the first one to arrive at the tomb. Her footprints impacted us greatly because they tell us where her passion was and her passion was Jesus and Jesus only. Can you imagine that? That's all she had in life was Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, our passion should be Jesus and Jesus only around here. Amen? Here's a woman that had loved many. She was a prostitute, but now she knows no one like this one man that she's devoted to called Jesus. Mary finally found the love of her life. She, just like you and me, we have loved many. We have loved many things, many people, many places. But after our deliverance and our cross experience, our devotion are to be just to one, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who should be the love of our life as well. Jesus Christ should be be the love of, the, of our life. He should be the love of the church. In our text, we find Mary again on the first day of the week at the tomb. She was there very early in the morning. It was on her priority list of that day. There was nothing else more important to her. A matter of fact, it was an urgent thing to Mary because the Bible tells us that we see, that we, and we see that she went to the sepulcher while it was yet dark. She arose before sunshine, before the day ever even started, before she could be detained or interrupted by anything, she made sure that her priority would be followed through and she would arrive at the sepulcher. It was at the top of her to-do list. And we see that Simon Peter also came and the other disciple, the Bible says, who is John? And they both arrived sometime after Mary does. Mary was the first one, though, to arrive at the sepulcher that morning. And I want us to focus on a few verses lower down in John chapter 20, verse 10 and 11. Then the disciples went away again into their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher. 
What struck me about these two verses is the words, all else went home, but Mary remained at the tomb. Everybody else left, but she remained. Everyone else went home, but Mary. Mary was the last to leave, and she was also showing deep affection for the Lord. The Bible says that she weeped for him, and she also peeked into the sepulcher to see if she might find him. Mary remained while everyone else left. Mary went. Uh, Mary wept while everybody else uh, just went on their merry way. Her devotion ran deeper than just having an acquaintance with Jesus. He saved her life. He cast seven demons out of her. He delivered her from the abuse of prostitution, gave her a violent life, gave her a, a life that was loved and honored and respected in the community. How could she just walk away so easily and not show her deep affection and respect for the Lord Jesus Christ? We live in a day when people are not grateful for the things that not only people do, but even grateful for the things that God has done. It's amazing to me how that we all too forget of what God has done in our lives. It's odd how that God can come down and bless and save and heal or minister to somebody and the next thing you know you see them out being ungrateful, not being faithful to church. Now, it's, it's odd that when you're in trouble you want all of the prayers and you're faithful to the house of God and boy everything's going good and then after God does something for you how we soon forget the goodness of God. That was not Mary. Mary said, oh, I can't forget him. No, not me. Man, I'm a woman that was sleeping around and doing prostitution and living a life of ill repute and I'm having demons in me that were controlling me and tormenting me. I know what he's done for me and she couldn't but help respect and honor him. But to someone like Mary, it was no easy thing to her to do, just soon forget and accept that he was dead, that he was gone. We live in a day when people are very active, they're very busy, but they go home sooner than what we really expect sometimes. There are those like Peter and John that showed up but they spent very little time at the tomb of him that done so much for them. How many of us are like Peter and John? We show up, but we soon leave. How many of us do not stay in it for the long haul? How many of us show up, but we don't put in the time, put in the work, put in the sacrifice, put in the worship that we need to put in? Here We hear voices all the time, voices clamoring for our attention and our affection. The cry of the worldly entertainment, the cry of the cares of life, the cry of commitment, the cry of work, the cry of family, the cry of friends, the cry of pleasure, and the list goes on. Of everything wanting us to get involved in those kinds of things. We hear the wor words like this all the time. Go home, you've done enough. Go home, it's just not worth it. Go home, it's no longer your responsibility. Go home, you've put in your time. Haven't you ever had those voices speak to you? Go home. He's not risen. Go home. He isn't answering. Go home. There's no hope. Go home. He's not doing anything around here. Go home. You're not making a difference. Go home. No one seems to care. Go home. Everyone else has gone. Go home. No one else is doing it. No one else is putting in the time. Go home for all the others have went home. And So why should you be the only one to stay? You deserve to go home. You've done your share. You've done your part. You've done more than everybody else just go and do your merry thing if no one else seems to care why in the world should you care staying here is it required of you why are you putting in so much time why are you putting in so much effort you're wasting your time and you have other responsibilities so it's time for you to stop what you're doing and go home we hear that stuff all the time when it comes to us trying to serve the Lord when we come in to pray and no one's at a prayer meeting the Bible, 
the, the, the statistic tells us that usually we have a tendency, well, no one showed up, so I'll go home. We don't even pray ourselves. Everything's about numbers. Everything's about how it satisfies or gratifies us. It's all about what it has to offer to us. But have we ever thought what we're doing don't always have to gratify us? That don't always have to satisfy? How about satisfying him? How about us coming in and saying, it don't matter what anybody else does. It don't matter that no one engages in worship. I'm going to worship. It don't matter that there's no one to sing to. I'm going to sing anyway. It don't matter that the crowd is low. I'm still going to preach to those that show up. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. I don't have to have an audience. I don't have to have a choir. I don't have to have everybody else to engage in order for me to engage. He's worthy of it, whether they do it or not. I'm going to do my part. I'm in for the long haul. I'm in because I have a devotion. It's not just an acquaintance that I have with him. I'm intimate with him. Let people do whatever they want to do. But for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give him my all. I'm going the extra mile. I'm going to push. I'm going to press. I'm going to do what it takes for me to encounter what I need for my life. Can I have somebody to say amen? All these reasons and more could not get married to go home. She did not listen to the clamoring voices of her time, but she remained at the tomb where Jesus was at. Though it seemed that he was dead, it didn't matter. All she knew is this is the last whereabouts of his presence. I don't always see him here, but I know this is where his presence is supposed to be. I don't always see him with the naked eye. I don't always feel goosebumps running down my spine. But this is the place he's supposed to be at. Where two or three are gathering his name, he said he'd be in the midst. Come on, somebody help me preach. Will we remain in our ministries when no one else seems to want to remain? What happens to the worship, direct, worship team if there's no one to sing to? Are they going to keep singing? Why do we do this stuff? Just to have church? We're supposed to be doing it unto him. Everything we do, our life and our passion are to be solely on Jesus and not church. Amen? Her actions was more of a devotion than just out of responsibility. Are you here out of responsibility or are you here because of devotion? Her love was more relational than it was intellectual. Are you here because you have a relationship with Christ or are you here because, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. That's what I'm told to do. Now, hers commitment was one of intimacy and not just emotion. What happens when the emotion's gone? What happens when the feeling's gone? What happens when you don't feel it? Come on, somebody. Mary loved when it seemed like there was not anything left and that all hope was gone. She still loved. She still remained. She still stayed. Mary was the first one there and the last one to leave. Peter and even John, the one whom Jesus loved, the one that laid his head over in the lap and the bosom of Jesus, he was called the beloved. And yet even John the beloved left premature to the event that was about to take place. Think about that. And matter of fact, where were all the other disciples? Where were all the other followers of Jesus that had been touched by him and healed by him and, 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 and fed by him and delivered by him and miracles happened? Where are they at now? Mary stands alone. Come on, somebody. Where were the multitudes? Where were the crowds? Where were the throngers and the touchers? 
Where were those whose eyes was opened because they were blind? Where were the lame? They were walking because that Jesus had healed. Where are these people? Where's the lepers that he healed? Oh, how soon we forget when it seems that he's not doing anything among us. Oh, how we soon to forget when it seems impossible and we're faced with overwhelming obstacles. Come on. It's easy to serve God in the good times, but how about being steadfast, unmovable in the bad times? I'm here to tell you that we must not only show up, but we must also remain. Only the 120, there were 500, according to the word of God, that had went up at the first at the upper room to tarry for the Holy Spirit, but only 120 on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Ghost due to their persistence. Somewhere, there were 380 of them that did not receive the Holy Spirit because they did not remain. It's not, it's not good enough that we just worship. We have to press our way into his presence. It's not good enough that we just pray. We have to persevere and believe and have to tarry sometimes. Some of the greatest moves of God that I've ever experienced is when over three-fourths of the church is gone. Leave a service. And there'll be a, some people kind of tarry. They, they just feel it. They sense something in their spirit. They just have a devotion. And they're sitting there. And all of a sudden, when about three-fourths of the congregation gone, wham, the glory of God comes down. I've seen that over and over and over in my 35 years of ministry. Only those that remain, that are steadfast, that are pressing in, will be rewarded with the promise. Isn't that what Hebrews 11 and 6 says? But without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Who's he a rewarder of? Them that diligently seek him. We cannot go home until we know that we have completed the task, we've completed the mission, we've completed the assignment that is before us that God wants us to finish. I believe that God is pouring out his spirit upon the church and this region and this world. How many believes that? How many feels a different spirit in the atmosphere over America right now? Can, can I have some witnesses in the house? But I also believe this. It is only going to be given to the remnant that chooses to believe and stay in for the long haul. Those that's going to stay the course. Are you listening to me? God's speaking to me this morning. That's what the apostle Paul said, didn't he? I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. What else did he do? He finished the course. Amen? This thing is not for quitters. The kingdom of God is for those that are resilient. Amen? We have to withstand and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we will reap if we don't faint. Amen? Just because things look bleak and hopeless and lost like it did to Mary, yet we have to have a remnant that will remain that resurrects hope. When the odds are not in your favor, when there seems to be no movement at all, no sign of hope, no sign of life, when it seems that things are going in the opposite direction, there has to be someone who will stay the course and believe. When things are lifeless and things are boring and there's no movement, we cannot fall into a spirit of apathy and mediocrity and become passive toward the things of the Spirit of God. When it seems that we're not seeing what we thought that we were promised, it's not a time to doubt and to cave in and give in, but it's a time for us to stand at the tomb of our promise and weep for it and travail and intercede and believe until it comes to pass. Just because it does not seem that it is happening does not mean that it's not happening. Huh. 
We must be exceptional people. And we must not go with the flow, but we must be those that create the flow. Did you hear that? Don't go with the flow. Don't go where the multitudes lead. You may not like where you find yourself when they, when they get to their destination. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what you're doing for Christ that's going to count. As Smith Wigglesworth said this, man, this is a powerful statement. If God doesn't seem to be moving, then we have to get him to move. Did you hear that? Hey, if God ain't moving, then it's our responsibility to get him to move. When all is said and done, let, let them talk about you as that one who stayed longer, who had more passion than the others, and the one who stayed until your passion became known to others and your promise sprang forth because you believed it enough to birth it. In John 20, 13, Mary spoke to the gardener, but it was Jesus and she didn't know what he was in disguise. She didn't recognize him. He was there when everyone else thought he was dead and gone. Think about that for a moment. He was there when everybody else thought he was dead and gone. And can I tell you, there was only one in his presence that day. Only one. If Mary would have left with Peter and John, listen to this, this is a divine revelation of Rhema Word. If Mary would have left with Peter and John, there would have been no one for Jesus to reveal himself to. When God gave me that, I crumbled. I thought, how many times is there no manifestation or revelation or miracles in God's presence today being revealed in church services because we have a tendency to leave when it doesn't seem like nothing's happening. We as a church have lost the ability to tarry in the absence of movement because we have become more emotionally led than we are spirit led. It's all about sight of what we see, what we feel. Come on now. When the service is dry, when the atmosphere is indifferent and the song service is struggling to connect and the preacher is worrying over his sermon, we have a tendency just to check out spiritually and emotionally and we look at it, well, we'll check this service off and we develop the mindset, we'll try again next week. We give in to defeat. We've lost our ability of warfare. We've lost our ability of discernment. Come on. Mary knows that he's dead. She's seen him die on the cross, but something kept her at the, at the tomb. How everybody says he's dead. I've seen the evidence as he's dead. Everything looks like he's dead. Everything points to that direction. Everything seems to appear that's the way it is. But there's something inside of me that says just stay a little longer. Don't go nowhere. You're about to see something, Mary. Woo! God, help me right here. Do we not understand our greatest warfare is at the threshold of our promise? The closer you get to your promise, the more intentional warfare is going to become. 
And when everybody's saying, oh, you just can't believe what's going on in my life, I'm thinking, woo, boy, they're about to receive their promise. Come on, somebody. And so much of the time, instead of being the first one to come and the last one to leave, we're the last one to come and the first one to leave. How in the world will we ever see the manifested Jesus if we come in late and leave early? In anything that we do. How are we gonna convince a class that we teach to be passionate when we're 10 minutes late to start? Come on, somebody. What makes you think you need to be with the choir team or the worship team if you won't show up to practice? I'm meddling now, ain't I? We could go through a thousand scenarios like that, and yet our footprints are telling everyone where our passions really are. Come on. We cannot even connect with one another when we come in late and leave early. What makes us think that we're gonna be able to connect with the Lord with that kind of an attitude? The 21st century church has put timetables on the move of God and we give him certain space and time to move in and then if he doesn't show up, we check out early. You got God till 12 o'clock to move and if you don't move by 12, we're out of here. God, we're gonna have a prayer meeting, but we're gonna put a timetable on that prayer meeting because we got things and responsibilities at home. We're giving you 40 minutes, God, of prayer. And if you don't show up in 40 minutes, I'm sorry, God, we're gone. Come on, somebody help me preach. To Mary, Jesus was not the Lord. She was not even our Lord. But to her, he was her Lord. There's a difference. She said, when he spoke to her, my Lord, my Lord. Her deliverance experience with Jesus was so intimate and so radically changed her life that she was going to be just as good of a saint as she was a sinner. We need to get this kind of personal and relational intimacy back in the church in each and every one of our lives. Mary in this chapter also tells the Lord, thinking he is the gardener, If you'll just tell me where you lay, I'll go get the body and I'll take care of it. She had a spirit of faithfulness and commitment like no one else. Though she was thought he was dead, yet she still loved him and still believed in him to be who he said he would be because she knew her experience. Can you imagine how impressed Jesus must have been to hear her speak over him and about him in that kind of a way? I think sometimes the same thing happens that we're speaking, but we're not really understanding that Jesus is in our midst hearing us anyway. Jesus must have been so pleased with hearing her say that and it showed him just how much Mary really did care for him and love him. Her love for him was not just expressed to him in words but in action. Her love for him was not just expressed in worship but in sacrifice and in work. Where where are you taking him? Where's he gone to? I'll, I'll I'll take his body. Where were the, where was the mighty Peter at at this time? Where were the other disciples? Not one of them were there at this particular time. Jesus found the one who had seven demons to be the one who could not leave the tomb. Amen. Will God find us, find us where he expects us to be? 
Are we, got, are we not going to be there because it doesn't seem like things are happening and things are falling apart around us? Mary's footprints were not only at the cross, but they were at the tomb, and they revealed her heart because wherever her heart was at, that's where she would be. It is your heart that will lead you to where you go. It is your heart that will cause you to do what you do. It is your heart that will give you the endurance to continually carry on. The next thing we see is Jesus said to her, Mary, wow. He called her by name and she turned to himself and said, Rabbi, Master, immediately. Why didn't she recognize him until he spoke? She recognized him at the, at the first mention of her name because she had heard him speak her name before and that was something she could never forget. You remember the night that Jesus called your name out? How many remember that night? You walked down to an altar and gave your life to the Lord because Jesus called you. Will you ever forget that voice? Will you ever forget that moment? No, she couldn't forget it either. Jesus revealed himself first after his resurrection to a woman in whom he cast seven demons out of, a prostitute. Why? Because there was no one else there to reveal himself to. Before you can see the manifestation of his presence, you have to be where his presence is at. Then Mary ran and told his disciples that she had seen and talked with the risen Lord. Mary was the one that spread hope to the hopeless. Mary was the one that brought faith back to the faithless. Mary was the one to announce the greatness of God. Come on, somebody. Mary was the first one to proclaim that Christ had risen from the dead. A woman was the first preacher of the gospel of the resurrection. Come and run, come, come, I've seen him. I've talked to him. In order for God to do his miraculous plan among us, then we have to be at the right place at the right time. And it must be our passion for him that comes as a result of where he has brought us from to where we're at now that positions us to fulfill our mission. If we do not go back and recapture our first love, we're not gonna make it. Passion will always make you present to where you need to be. Passion causes you to stay longer than all the rest, go farther than the norm that wants to go to do more than the rest wants to do. Passion will position you to see the manifestation of what you believe. Where your footprints, where is your footprints here this morning leading you? If I could see everywhere your footprints are leading you today, I'm gonna to ask you this question. If I could look out and say, well, okay, I've seen everywhere where John Sells has been then what kind of a chance would we have to see Jesus if we were counting on him to reveal him to us? What kind of chance, if I looked out and seen where your footprints has taken you, what kind of a chance do I have that you would be the one that could reveal Jesus by what you're doing and where you're going? Peter and John and the rest of the disciples were not there and the only way for them to know Jesus, that he was alive, was by the voice of Mary. How many footprints are revealing that manifestation is on the way because they reveal our position as a result of our passion? Or how many of our footprints are revealing things are, that we preach, the things that we hope for, the things that we declare are remaining in the tomb as far as we know it because there will be no revelation of the Lamb due to the lack of exposure of his people. There will be no one there to make. Today is the day we put aside to remember fallen heroes and to pray that no heroes will ever have to die for us again. They chose to reject the fashionable skepticism of their time. They chose to believe and answer 
the call of duty. They stood for something. Pray about the things that we proclaim. Are they just empty words that will never happen because our footprints don't lead us to the place of manifestation? Are we building a memorial like the children of Israel did when they went over to Jordan and flood stage and the miracle happened and they built a memorial in the Jordan River and they built one on the other side and everybody that comes by, that memorial is still yet today to say, if Israel went through here, we came too. They were the catalyst of the faith. You and I have got to be the catalyst of the faith when there seems to be no movement, when everything's going in the wrong direction, when everything's bleak, when everything's dark, when it seems like the enemy's winning, when it seems like the evil forces are taking over, when America seems like it's doom and gloom, somewhere, somebody, has got to be at the tomb of the promise declaring it's not over it's not over it's not over I'll wait I'll endure I'll tarry I'll stay I'm here to tell you, there's more movement than the eye can see. There's more things happening than what you can even conceive. I have got more passion than I've ever had in my life. My faith is stirred. I've quit watching the news and I've been reading the good news. Fox says this, CNN says this. Come on. Newsweek says this, but the gospel says this. He is risen. He's alive. He's not dead. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Look into the hills to where your street coming from. Your street coming from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm here to decree and declare over this congregation our best days are ahead of us and not behind us. I'm here to declare unto you your latter days shall be greater than your former days. I'm here to declare it's not over. I am somebody that has not seen all the results of the things I want to see. There's promises inside of me that I believe is coming. And I'm telling you, I'm still standing at the tomb. I've not left. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave. I tell you what, though, there's evidence something's happened because the stones rolled away. He's not in there. I just ain't seen him yet. He's somewhere doing something. He's not in the tomb. He's not dead. He's active somewhere. There's somewhere that he's at. All I got to do is remain faithful till he manifests himself in his promise. Would you stand with me, please? God spoke to me and said, you tell the palace of praise. Many Navy men, many Marines, many Army, come on, many Air Force, many volunteers, many preachers, Many workers have given their life for the cause of the freedom of America. And then he spoke to me and he said, but you tell them the greatest memorial that they can do is to give their life and passion to me 
and let me manifest myself the way I want to in them. And they will reveal to the world the hope that, they ha that has been lost from them. And there'll be a memorial set because your footprints will lead to greatness. Your friends' footprints will declare the glory of God. You'll have a memorial. You'll have a legacy to leave behind because you were one that was not a quitter. Come on, you were a camper. You sit there at the tomb and tell, hey, I'm not leaving till I see him. Hallelujah. He's somewhere around in this garden. He's somewhere around here because he's not in that tomb. He's out roaming somewhere. He's about his father's business. But I know one thing. I don't know where he's went, but this is the last place I've seen him. So I'm not leaving till I see him again. There are times I come in here, I don't feel the presence of God, but he's here. I don't give up. I don't check out. I don't not worship. I don't only worship when I feel it. When it's great and grand and glorious. When it's dripping. We gauge our services by what we feel. Oh, that was a good service. You mean that was better than the other one? What makes it any difference? The presence of God was in both of them. The greatness of the service is not determined by what you feel. The greatness of the service of who is here. He is here. That makes every service great. The great one is among us right now. He might not be manifesting the way you want him to manifest at this particular time. But if you'll stay here and believe. If you'll press and show that you're willing for him to manifest himself in due time. When you put forth that, that, that effort of passion. God will show himself strong on your behalf. He'll move on your behalf. And the request that you have and the petitions that you desire will come to pass. But you're not going to get it just aimlessly coming in late, leaving early. Just be, Well, if it's going to follow me, it'll follow me. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It'll never happen. God rewards the faithful. Amen. We're living in some dark times. Come on. I mean, it's bleak out there when you look at it in the natural eye. Seems like the enemy wins at every upper hand. You think, oh, it's about to turn only to find out, find out that little information that you got. It's crushed. They stopped it somehow. The enemy seems to be able to push back the light. Every time they're about to be exposed, it seems like, up. Oh, that, that didn't go anywhere. One, one, one heartbreak right after another, one disappointment, right? I get so frustrated. Here all, we've almost got the evidence. Only for it to crumble because they got a way to finagle it with the right judge or with the right, come on. And they seem to, like they're in control. <laughs> but if they think they've made my faith weaken, oh, they got another thing coming, watch out. They got their heyday right now. But I'm telling you, the day stars are about to appear. Come on. There's going to be a wave. There is a wave of glory happening right now. It's not, it's not if it's going to. It is happening, folks. Open your eyes. I'm asking you this morning to take this message home with you. I'm asking you to say, I'm going to be devoted more devoted than I've ever been before in my life. I'm gonna believe more than I've ever believed. I'm gonna be at the right place at the right time. I'm gonna put in time, I'm gonna put in energy. Not that we earn it, but what we do is a sign and a reflection of our heart. Come on, it's our passion. And I talk about it all the time because it's something that's really changing my life. 
not only do I have my regular devotions, me and Jenny pray every day together. And uh, when Whitaker's there, little Whitaker, he prays with us. My mom prays with us. We have that little time together. I have my own devotional times. I have prayer, different vigils with different people on the phone. There's just different kinds of things that I do. One of the greatest things God spoke to me is to start that pastor's porch I talked about. And man, now I'm finding myself just going out there when it's not just on Monday nights and taking my chair and sitting out there and just me communing with the Lord. Friday, I was sitting in my office and I was putting a sermon, final touches to it. And I said, God, this ain't the way I would normally go on a Memorial Day. And, but I feel like you've led me. And then he just spoke to me. Well, let me confirm it to you. Go out on the porch. I just got my old lawn chair up and me and him, I went out and sat in the porch and immediately his presence just come down. Did I have to get to the porch? Is not God omnipresent? Yeah, but that's where he commissioned me. In an act of obedience. I don't know why. Don't make sense to me. But I knew that if I was going to hear from God that I felt led to go to the porch. I call it the porch. There ain't nothing special about the porch. There's no power there. It's just an act of I don't know why we anoint with oil, but he tells us to do it. Come on. Paul felt led to anoint handkerchiefs. It's no good if you don't feel led to do it. It's just wasting your time. But I felt led. And I went out there and I sat down there alone by myself in the flesh and immediately, boom, the presence of God, boom. And I wept and I cried and the Lord said, my awakening is here. Believe me, stay with me and you'll see it. No matter how bleak it seems, when it's dark, because I want to tell you, he brought it back to my remembrance at the threshold of your promise, that is the point of your greatest warfare. And when the warfare intensifies, rejoice, look up, because the redemption's about to draw nigh. Promise is about to come through. It's not a time to quit, cry, I understand. Get in self-pity, go close yourself up in depression, walk around oppressed, not able to believe that God is about to bring the things to pass. You don't have to understand. Mary did not understand everything. All she knows is I got to be here. There's something inside of her. The great apostles show up. They didn't feel that intensity. They didn't have that deep-rooted passion. Come on. Matter of fact, if you remember, Peter saying, hey, I think I'll go back fishing. Not Mary. I can't go back fishing because I know what I was delivered from. You wasn't where I was at, evidently. You've, Peter, you've done forgot where you was at, evidently. You're not me. I'm not going back to that. He's my only hope. And I still, if what he done to me wasn't real, then I don't know what real is. It was real. And because it was real, I can't accept the fact that he's dead. Something's about to happen and I'm going to be around when it does. I'm going to get up before sunrise. It's going to be my, on my first priority. I got to go to that tomb. I got to check this out. I got to go back to where he was last at. And I got to stay until he reveals himself to me. And that's what we got to do as a church. 
I don't necessarily feel like having an altar call this morning. Right now, would you start connecting with God and say, God, create in me a passion like Mary. By all means, if you feel the drawing to the Lord to come to the altar, you're welcome. But this morning, I'm, I'm asking you to just say, Lord, with everything that's going on, help me not to lose sight of who you are. Help me not to be an emotional-led person, but a spirit-led person. Help me, God, to have spiritual enlightenment and understanding. Though we prophesy, we only prophesy. We don't have to have the full revelation of it. But give me enough nuggets to hang on to that I can believe that those things that you're about to do, that I'll be right at the right place at the right time for you to be able to manifest to me and I'll be the hope to the hopeless. I'll be the faith to the faithless. I'll be the one that will declare the possibility when the impossibility stare people in the face. I'll be the one that'll be able to lay hands on them and they'll recover. I'll be the one that'll speak the word of wisdom to them. I'll be the one that'll be at the right place at the right time to receive your full glory. That God, that all of the earth may be filled with your glory. I'll be a recipient of your grace. I'll be resilient. I'll be persistent. I'll be steadfast. I'm not backing up. I want to reap. Oh, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. In closing, I'm going to say this remarks and I'm going to let you go. I don't want to be the person where there can be no revelation of the Lamb due to a lack of my exposure of passion that will cause me not to be at the right place for the Lord to manifest Himself to me. But I want to be that person that has passion, that shows up at that tomb of my promise. What does the tomb represent? It it represents the things that have not come to pass that you've been promised and it seems like that it's been stripped from you, it's been stolen from you and they're not coming to pass. I want you to know your tomb experience is those things that you have wanted, that you have desired, that you've prayed over, that you've warred over and they've not come to pass and you've got discouraged and you wonder why and all hope seems to be gone. It seems like the promise is dead. There's no movement whatsoever. There's nothing stirring. There's no evidence of that boy being saved. There's no evidence of that, of that body being healed. There's no evidence of that money coming in. There's no evidence of anything that you need right now happening. You're at your tomb. Stay there and weep and worship and look in the sepulcher. Look in the tomb of despair for him because he's around there somewhere. She not only wept, she peeked in to see where's he at? Where's he at? She's looking for him. You look for him. And if you'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. And he'll reveal himself to you. And you'll have your promise. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. Be with your family, but be more important, more important, take time with him during these busy holidays. God bless you. We love you. Hug somebody and tell them your promise is on the way. In Jesus' name.